0: live for you michael we should do Or actually i haven't really thought about it but i just see the possibility that some night we could go on live um and record it and people could let's say there was only like say 20 if we advertised it well 20 people who signed on that would still be a fun way of doing a show answering questions yeah you you do that um all those possibilities just doing something live anyhow we're not live it's uh Michael Martin, you were saying that you never had this fall break. It's fall break for so many at universities. Uh, Indigenous Persons Day, Columbus Day, all those. Um regeneration podcast on a cup day, just like my sweatshirt. This might be swag day. My
1: cup yeah, like day.
0: Yeah. My wife just cracks up that like uh our kids now have very easy gifts to give us. Um that they uh they can just make regeneration and some swag and give it to us, and we so happy with that. <laughs> I recently told a friend that, um, and she got mad, but uh, she wanted her husband to give, make her a chicken coop. And he he was thinking, oh, it could be working. He's not sure he wanted chickens. Then I said, Tim, you know, there's a win because once you get somebody their hobby, like it's chickens or my wife, you know, she started beekeeping this year. It makes every gift so easy. Just buy him a beekeeping mug, a beekeeping sweatshirt, a beekeeping Mm -hmm. hat. And then the lady got really offended. Uh, she's a friend. Maybe she'll listen to this, thinking that that was a that was like a too easy or something. And I can stand by it. That the the swag I got for my wife with her beekeeping this year was a very very nice mug and a very very nice sweatshirt, and she wears it a lot. And again, I enjoyed the regeneration swag my kids make for me.
1: Same here. Speaking of swag,
0: tell me. Here we, we go. The next the next issue. Uh, describe the highlights. There's it's no the lowlights.
1: Household lights. of Things, Jesus the Imagination, Volume 7, with cover art by the illustrious Catherine Oliver, who's an artist. And actually, she makes films, too. You can check her out on YouTube. Look for Catherine Oliver, Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And it's fantastic. And actually, Joan Proudman is on the back, which is a pretty extraordinary piece of digital collage. Collage, yeah, and uh it's got good stuff. Actually, we have. Let's see, how many former, uh, uh people we've interviewed here? Let's see.
0: I heard Guido has one, and you told me.
1: Uh, Lindsay Rose is in here. Okay, she's Katie great. Hartsock, who who will will be interviewing next time. Oh, uh, And actually, she is the the wife of somebody. Also, we also interviewed Jonathan geltner Also, who else is here? Guido Preparata. He has, actually, he has, uh, here's the title of his, The the Three Apprentices by the Grimm Brothers. Attempt- it is such a scary attempting
0: article. He attempting Gnostic yeah.
1: re- Interpretation.
0: It was really awesome. heavy.
1: Also, I, I did an interview with Martin Shaw for this yeah, one. Yeah, that's big. One. Therese Schroeder-Schieker. She's also got an article in here, or a yeah. story, actually. Uh, James Tunney is in here.
0: Wow. Wow. We we're going to have him on again soon. What was that right. topic he mentioned? That uh, anyhow, he's coming Remember. up again. If you're a James Tunning fan,
1: yeah. And we have actually two poems from another person we interviewed, uh, Daniel Polakoff. Yeah. And uh, who else is here? Tyler, Daniel was who, Wings of Desire. You know, up. but we didn't interview him. Tyler DeLong, is yeah. Here. uh really? good guy. So yeah, so yeah, it's like we're we're well represented here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, when I link to it, Michael, where do you want me to? Uh, link to Angelico Press, Amazon. Yeah, to Angelico right.
1: Press because they finally have a way to subvert the machine and not go through Amazon.
0: Okay. Well, good.
1: Yeah. Thank um, you again
0: for doing that. It's uh, it's a labor of love for you. I know it's not – it doesn't put your kids through college, but it's uh, – Yeah,
1: it hasn't yet. But it is – I mean, I do like doing it, but – Yeah.
0: It keeps the of, fire alive. It keeps of the work, fire alive. A lot of work. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, and it's the household of things. So, And it was interesting, you know, I thought – I would get a lot of distributors type stuff, and I didn't. I got a lot well, of because
0: you beat uh, up on the distributors. Do you think that's the answer?
1: No, I like no. I mean, I was hoping somebody would do something, but uh, I don't beat up on them. I just want to want them to stop playing, <laughs> playing <laughs> Lord of the Rings cosplay. It's like
0: it's like cutting on people. Be. It's like cutting on people and asking them to come to your party. Yeah, it's no, weird. but I get it. No, you're just uh, you want them to get a little more down to earth. <laughs> Yeah, but
1: there, it is down earth, but it was more about the imagination, so yep. surprisingly,
0: mm-hmm. in this one. Um, what's your thought? What's your thought about the um, this week? Uh, I was surrounded a lot by thoughts on the synod of the church, you know, and you're where you are right now, vis a vis the Catholic Church. Um, you know, I find myself, um, like so many things, you know, I, I'm gonna not precede because we didn't even discuss this topic, but uh, the other it's when we had um, uh, uh, first name Clavin on again. Great. Uh, Matt Clavin. No,
1: Spencer Clavin. Spencer.
0: I'm so sorry, Spencer. And again, we, we need to have him on again. That was a great, great conversation. And I was confusing him with his dad, but we we're, we we're talking about Owen Barfield. now. I was thinking of how, and tell me, Michael, if you think this is relevant in his book, speaker's meaning and this is something that i think is coming up it's like those russian dolls or the microcosm within the macrocosm Mm -hmm. um and on columbus day indigenous people the synod this whole bottom up thing we talk about so much bottom up but he was in the beginning of speaker's meaning he's talking about vis-a-vis the novels of dh lawrence um and like our relationship to the body Mm-hmm. In that book, he's drawing about, you know, a critical moment we're at that I'm, I'm going to use the the episode or the the issue of crime that he ta- uh, was bringing up that um, in Britain at that time, they were talking about justice as we still are now. We're working this one out. But it used to be if somebody committed a crime, you just punished them. Now, that'd be that captured part of the truth. But something that you and I would say, the evolution of consciousness, Barfield called it the increasing incarnation of the logos. It's getting more embodied. It's descending further and further but then all of a sudden you get this other understanding that to this criminal like what like um uh sartre in his novel or, no Camus. you know you can take somebody who committed a murder follow them step by step and you understand it completely this kid was abused as a child i was just reading a wonderful article in the journal plow this morning on friendship and the author whose name i forget i, I would love to praise it because this great article was saying how um You know, she adopted kids from a kind of a dysfunctional family early and she surrounded them with love, but they still obviously had problems, problems, this thing called trauma. But let's say, you know, we're under, we can understand the criminal, but I think we still need law and order. And we have political parties that kind of represent either antithesis of that, but I think we can understand people while also using law and order. But that, that kind of movement from justice to mercy is something that's going on. And uh, I see this playing out a lot. So the synod, if somebody wanted to say that they thought this whole synod was going to be um, just kind of run by German bishops on behalf of uh, St. Gallen group or whatever it need be, they're probably right for all I know. But I also have a sense that the movement from kind of top down to bottom up, there's no going back. There's no going back.
1: Um, well, I don't think the sin out is is actually a bottom up thing. I think it's a no, That's a, yeah, right. the illusion. It's the illusion of that. It's not that at all. That's
0: where we are right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But hypocrisy you know, is vice paying tribute to virtue. Well, I maybe, think yeah.
1: what, what I think these structures do is they 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 can see the handwriting on the wall, so they they try to <laughs> do a do an end run and pretend and this is i've seen this in college administration i've seen it in everything you see it in politics all the time and this is a classic thing right they put they, they put on the front that that this is we're all in this together mm-hmm. no we're not and so and i don't think it's a bottom up i think it's a bottom out okay. that is the one that's helpful and for you know and i but I think, you know, we're kind of conditioned. Well, we describe
0: are... the bottom out revolution a little bit more than, or maybe that's what you're doing.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, because I I hear from people, for instance, or just actually heard from somebody just yesterday about doing house church and want to know how we're doing it. And of course, the big thing with house church, when you, when you have a Catholic pedigree, as some people I know, myself do, is, you know, the big... The Rubicon is the Eucharist. <laughs> Are you going to do the Eucharist too? Because once you do that, you've crossed the Rubicon and you're like, you're doing the classic Caesar, Alea iacta Est. Uh-huh. The die has been cast, right? Because you know, if you cross that line, there's no going back, right? Right, right. And and so, and, and but but that, so I think it, and, what, what, and so this, this guy who contacted me yesterday was actually through uh, X or Twitter. He said, Do you do that? You know, I was I wanted, I did it once, but I felt kind of weird about it. So I understand it's because we had <laughs> we've had a lot of conditioning say you're gonna go to hell. Right. But uh but even when I talked to, actually my former priest and I, I talked to him about it a while ago, even before I think I did it. I, and he said, No, I, you know, the priest the church doesn't say that you know it can't happen that the that, uh, that the Eucharist can't happen outside of the church it's a it only says that the church knows it does it that it does happen inside the church mm-hmm. which i don't know that's you know party liner what is it but but i think you know i mean there's a the gospel warrant for whether two or more gathered in my name there i am in the midst of them mm-hmm. and god's gonna play uh a legalist and throw you out for trying to feed the children, which is what really for us is you know, anybody who's been following my, my sub stack or my blog for a while knows that a big impetus for this was when under COVID things were closed down and the churches were closed, they closed for Easter, and I didn't see any of the church leaders pushing back, not at all. In fact, just the opposite,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and in Rome, you know, Pope Francis made it or i don't know if he's the one who did it but he approved it certainly that you know if you worked at the vatican you had to be fully vaccinated Mm -hmm. without knowing what was in that you know and so it seemed really unconscionable and if that's the case and so many churches were closed and i have i still have two well i have at the time i had four kids it's still at home but two of them were in middle school like you know fifth and seventh grade or something like that or actually even earlier they were even they were fourth and sixth grade and i'm like i can't be on hiatus with with their religious formation say more like about exactly
0: stuff. what you're thinking on that stage you No, know, so you're saying you know that age why why did that age matter to you because what exact- of, you know
1: yeah. because you, that's the formative mm-hmm. experiences yeah, of, yeah. of religious life mm-hmm. you know and i just felt like i i and it was hard for me to 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 cross the Rubicon, but when eventually I did, it took over a year and a half for me to do that from the mm-hmm. first we were just doing like prayer services on the Sundays because I couldn't go to church. And then I got increasingly angrier at the hierarchy for 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 caving, for for actually, and this, and this is when we talked to Guido Preferato, right? This is what he's been saying is that, you know, as far as he can his read on it is that the hierarchy has been pretty much given their marching orders by whether it's a world like I'm former, whoever, you know, that you guys play by our rules and and we'll, we'll stop, we'll stop with the, the sex scandal stuff. We're going to let that go away. Right. 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 And, but but you got to, you got to support our program. Right. And I, and this is what's in Guido's book, uh, church and empire. Right.
0: That's right. That's what I see with Pope Francis is like, um, that part of him is this kind of Latin American of a good kind. I mean, there's all these paradoxes. One is that when he seems to be on an airplane, he's, again, he's just speaking this blend of authoritarianism with a kind of a bottom-up anarchism, you know, that, uh, but, and then merged with possibly selling out on the issue of like the main institutional thing might've sounded document, as Guido uh, said. But even in this most recent encyclical, which I read, this week. It's like, it's critiquing the elites only to talk about something vaguely called multilateralism. So it's not local and he can't seem to harness the power of the local or the true subsidiarity, but he likes bottom up in some way, but you're right. Then there's this, um, you see that he, he wants to liberate, liberate, see judge act, bottom up decision-making, but on, uh, he can use, you know, authority so cavalierly at times. I confess to enjoying thing. the right. whole show.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a joke, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you can you can have a black iron cross if you want, but you're still sitting in the chair of Saint Peter, mm-hmm. right? And you still you exert your authoritarianism when it suits you. Right. Right. And that's the farthest thing from a kind of Christian anarchism. And that's the thing, you know, thinking so I I I have to But I guess I
0: think all these things are again birth spasms of whatever is being born in the shell of the new. You know that the we're at this just like I said the the confusion in our criminal justice system is you know we have we have one faction I think it's crazy that wants that focuses so much on the to understand all is to forgive all that they don't believe in jails. Or keeping murderers like, you know, locked up and so forth. But there's no doubt there's this kind of what um I, I don't know, this is Powys who uses Wordsworth, you know, the stream of tendency that, you know, leads towards righteousness or something. But um, I do see Pope Francis as one of these transitional figures. Like, what's going to become? Can the See of St. Peter exercise authority? Will it will it be doing that necessarily? So let's say, like Chesterton's right, this thing is dying. That shouldn't offend much Catholics, but is Pope Francis sowing seeds of discontent, um, seeds of something else that at least can give us something of the musical register. Mm. So we start building the new in the shell of the old. You know, no, I know that's vague. I, You're saying no. Yeah,
1: I don't. Well, I, what I see, what I see that um, it's almost like a controlled demolition. <laughs>
0: And make no make no mistake. Sure. I'm not saying that he's clairvoyant like he's playing five chess. No, Just, I, I, I want to put that out there. I don't think. No, that's I think case it's a
1: controlled games. demolition that he's doing, and I think it's at. The, I'm 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 assuming that's not
0: in total conflict with what I'm saying. You know, you think, I know it's not. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Right, but right. I think it's it's not it's not out of pastoral concern. I don't mm-hmm. think. I think it's uh, it's it's uh out of worldly concern. It's yeah. he's he's more and more. And I was you know when he first came out, you remember I wrote. I wrote that that guest blog post for Arthur Rossman, yeah. When we were still speaking on Laudato Si', right? Which I thought was <laughs> good. at the time. Like, I what was your really What was me. your
0: take again, or what got you? Uh, what got No, you I thought canceled? it was
1: like and the fact that when I read Laudato Si', I kept looking through the footnotes. I said, "Is this guy quoting me? What where is where did he get all uh, this?" Thing? Right. And then I found out later that the some groups at the Vatican had been studying my work. Uh huh. You know, so I was on my own. maybe there were. Um but and I was encouraged, you know, I was encouraged by it. and and I don't mean that
0: this involved oh, right today. so
1: I'm a, I'm a biodynamic farmer and I'm yeah. sociologist, right? Like and I, mean. I have, as you know, a very sacred relationship to 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 nature, the creation, right? And which, but that does not mean that I'm i um, the kind of uh, stop oil person's going to glue himself to the to the to the expressway or to the the highway so people can't go to work or even to the hospital, right? And I, in fact, I hate that and I think it's evil. Um, but because I think those kinds of gestures support exactly what these assholes who want. Fifteen-minute cities and surveillance, like you see in London, right? And that's coming. It's going to be every place before too long. And in di- universal um, or digital currency, you know, mm-hmm. central bank digital, digital currencies, and they're all pushing for this, right? And and they do it under the the guise of care or you know safety, just safety, you know, safety. just like the Patriot Rescue. Act, right? Mm-hmm. The it's the Patriot Act on. on hallucinogens yep. um but and so i like that part a lot to C was doing that but he's it seems to me he over the time pope francis has become more and more technocratic and more and more more an in, uh, apparatchik of the world economic forum
0: yeah that's he actually uses there's a sub chapter in his apostolic exportation that i think has the headline basically like it's like beating up on the technocratic paradigm i know the phrase technocratic paradigm is in one sense the enemy Uh in this exhortation um and that phrase as translated into english but early on by um giving the whole i always think again can't we begin as catholics with the divine feminine which again is local and so forth can our friend scott martin would say like know the name of your local watershed um we have a pile of garbage the size of Aruba, like out in the Pacific. These concrete things, uh, let's say one third of California is concrete, you know, whatever these stats are, um, or or your local stats, what's actually going on. But he, he spends three quarters of the document beating up on the technocratic paradigm. But I'm just thinking of young people. And if I was betting at Vegas, they're probably right. There's something called probably man-made global warming accounts for something. I don't know how much, but I know that Really good double-blind sciences, of which there's so few, has still not settled this question. A lot of bright young guys would cringe because they go like, when you're going to stake it, that this is a non-negotiable, man-made global warming. When a lot of people can say it still could be accounted for in other ways, not that we're not treating the environment horribly, he, Pope Francis, in this encyclical, gave the keys to the technocrats at the same time as then um, three-quarters of the rest of the document later is kind of punching at them.
1: He's speaking outside of both sides of his mouth yes. um yeah so i mean you know so i don't you know i but, but from from you know you you're in my generation so we remember we were kids and there the the horror stories and the fear-mongering about the coming they were
0: horror stories right the coming
1: ice age remember that and then yeah, the they end, were always
0: uh, yeah they were supposed to happen a long time ago which oh still, yeah
1: we were supposed to be dead by now and remember uh Al Gore's Earth in the Balance that yeah. I think was by 2010 that half the world will be underwater. Well the other like,
0: big one was uh, the inconvenient truth, right?
1: Right. And it's all bullshit. That was an Al Gore thing. And it's all but I And I agree that all these things are created to yeah. you know destabilize our, our security in the world. And I'm not I'm not So put it this way. So if you're talking about net zero or something like this, you know, people don't know shit about actual (laughs) what what carbon dioxide does. And you know, and we've seen certain reports that you know what happened. We live in a we live in a closed system. We act like there's scarcity, that we're gonna use up all the oxygen or something. Mm -hmm. Or and it's insane. It's insane because you know, we breathe out carbon dioxide. Plants breathe it in; yeah. <laughs> they breathe out, right? And so, the problem for me isn't isn't one of these kinds of things because I think technocrats use them to try to control us, right? Uh, I my problem, you know, you know, I like you said, there's a, there's a an island of plastic and a you know the size of Aruba floating around the Pacific. So my problem, and listeners, is, I don't know if that's uh, my problem is with pollution.
0: <laughs> I made that up, but yeah, right, pollution. right, right. right.
1: Pollution's the problem, uh-huh. you know, and plastic. But I also
0: think make it concrete with as plastics, possible right?
1: Yeah. So with, with plastics, Mike, you know, they make you feel guilty for using plastic, but can you buy anything that's not wrapped in plastic? Even uh-huh. wire. So if I if I go to, to, to the hardware store to buy screen, which I've done many, many times, or hardware cloth, it comes wrapped in plastic. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're afraid it would spoil if it weren't wrapped in plastic. I mean, what the hell? Doesn't everything need to be plastic? Um, but but those are, you know, just...
0: But those, another angle, though, on the same thing, if your, your point to treat, is well taken.
1: Yeah. You know, to, to work with nature that are, are healthy. Yeah. Um, for, for Again, out. it's not
0: between eco-feminism, like not engaging with uh, nature at all, like Jain Buddhism avoiding bugs on the... You know, nor is it uh, strip mining, what our friend Philip Sherrard, the great you know, translator of the Folklia, you know, would call the rape of Mother Nature and so forth. I always want to preface before we use that, but it captures a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this engagement with nature. There's this engagement with nature, which isn't okay. isn't just avoiding it. That's where um, Bill Bryson, right? He was good in his book, Walking the Appalachian Trail. He noticed that. And it's I'm not saying it's peculiar to America. It's there in the West. But we have this schizophrenia even more than Europe. But the Appalachian Trail, you know, studiously avoids engagement with any towns, whereas the Midi- Middle Ages, um, our friend uh, Spencer Clavin was talking about, you know, we look for resources from something that's been gone for a while, and we can bring it back. But in Europe, you see how a bridge or an engagement of a nature trail with a town can enhance the beauty of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to have that schizophrenia in America that you could only dominate nature or not touch her at all,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, and it, and, it, and, it, and that's not a sociological relationship at all.
0: Neither one is right.
1: You got have you have to
0: dance with nature. Yeah, right?
1: it has to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, phenomenology. Well, it's it's a, I mean, you you we act like, and this is the problem, right? In, in the, what you describe, where it's the either or, mm-hmm. that's Cartesian metaphysics, right there, mm-hmm. right? That we're we're somehow outside of nature.
0: Mm-hmm
1: you know, we're, we're impartial observers outside of nature when. If
0: people want, if people want to, if our listeners, it's, you know, we always get, or at least my kids and some students at the college will say, you know, link books more, all the stuff we don't and probably will never do unless we hire somebody or we could, uh, you know, bring in big bucks. Anyhow, the, um, there's a chapter in Owen Barfield's book on Coleridge, just that gets into outness, you know, and so people get kind of the Cartesian thing that you're mentioning, but
2: mm-hmm. just the
0: whole, like the importance of that whole notion that there's like, you know, I I always beat up on Archimedes, as you know, you know, that he seems to be the godfather of the sense that we can extricate ourselves from the universe to con, you know, to comment on it from hermetically sealed distance, where we have objectivity, as right. opposed to coming out of our mother's womb surfing. You know, I like the image of surfing or sailing. But, um, you know, when, when this notion of outness after the Cartesian revolution really settled in, Owen Barfield's chapter on outness in his book, What Coleridge Thought, is just right. one of these genius chapters of, all of literature.
1: Yeah, and, and I and I think Barfield is correct to, to mean to, to start have, um the romantic poet as his kind of starting off point, because that's exactly in fact, I've been doing, I mentioned it last time we talked, uh, I've been doing a lot of research into German Romanticism because I'm supposed to write an uh, introduction on Novalis's uh, Christianity or Europe and his spiritual songs. And uh, I mean, these guys, I mean, they, the more I didn't realize how much, because I never researched it this deeply, and usually I would pay attention to the English Romantics, not the Germans as much but they were they were like us I mean they were they wanted to to uh, repair that broken relationship with nature they
0: did yeah that,
1: that had been and, and the thing is for them and this you see this in Goethe, but you see it in Oval, see it in Schelling right is that repair of our broken relationship with nature uh, was is unthinkable without a repair of our broken relationship with nature with God.
0: You know, one other angle, if people are trying to do spiritual, we once talked about spirituality of like the four directions and so forth and things you could do. But I would say here's another spiritual discipline connected to that outness of nature. And it's something you and I would have in common. So when I describe it, Michael, you understand it. But our our common friend Bergayev, he labeled himself an anti-consequentialist, right? You know, meaning he just thought that like moral decisions weren't based on what you thought could happen from them. Because he knew that as my my dead friend Stephen Vizinci, this novelist I've mentioned so many times in his book called The Rules of Chaos, we we have less, much less control over the future than we think. So again, that goes back to Archimedes in this sense of being to be able to be outside the universe. Right. Once you let go to once you let go of that ontological fiction and realize we are surfing. You actually, this spirituality of the present moment, this Marian spirituality of the present moment, and this not trying and just doing the right thing because it's what you should do, not trying to play moral chess that I'm going to like dam up this river or poison this river so I can get more food. Just don't poison rivers. Um, Kennedy's assassin said, I did it for my country. No, just don't kill people. Um, this whole moral revolution takes place. And the key the key language from Vizinci that I love so much is... Um, In a chaotic world, moral decisions are the only rational ones, right? Mm -hmm. You know, most of the evil we do in this world is because of the domino theory of history. We have to kill a lot of Vietnamese because if Vietnam goes communist, the whole rest of Southeast Asia will. Well, how Mm -hmm. do we know? It takes a lot of people. Stendhal proved uh, when he looked at the French Revolution. It's a lot of things have to happen at the same time you know? And so history is chaotic, but there's this idea of realizing daily the spiritual discipline that we can't get outside of this universe that again, we came from our mom's womb and we've been figuring it out the whole time. And we're, we're just fellow journeyers of other people are trying to figure it out. It it takes a revolution in your thinking. You're just, you're very much prone to live in the present moment. I find.
1: Yeah. And, and I think what happens, what you see, I mean, these, (laughs) well, you know, we're going to have net zero. We're going to save the planet right or we're gonna whatever it's whatever the 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 project du jour is to save the planet it's 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 a messiah complex Mm -hmm. right yeah it's hubris it's it's hubris writ large you know and and you and 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 it's very often um promoted by these technocrats yeah who who don't i mean they don't really care about the environment
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know they you know you see all this stuff when they go to davos and they're all flying their private jets and they're they're eating whatever they're at you know lobster or, or whatever you know and and they're and they're they're and they're pla- pla- planning for us to eat bugs and not have cars yeah. <laughs> you know who, who can buy that for, yeah. even for a second right yep. and uh but it's absolutely hubris, right? Yeah, and and it's and I wrote about this. I mean, I knew this was coming. I wrote about it in Transfiguration, which was yeah. five or six years ago.
0: And you're you're right in line with uh, again Illich, who said, you know, the ultimate blasphemy is this blasphemy of life by looking at, you know, the paradox of that image of the Earth as seen from outer space. And the image of a baby seen, you know, in utero, he just obsessed on those. Mm -hmm. That when we look from the outside and say, this is life. So you have the scientists on one side, but you have the priests, a certain form of priesthood on the other side. You know, the baby is life, Mm life, life, life. But in both cases, it's giving technocrats control of that definition. Right. And that whole notion that forced him to say to hell with life, because this this view of outness um, that you were just describing so well it's it's you know it's gotten so far that whether you do it in the name of science or religion there's this way of objectifying life so that you can mess with it and there's Mm -hmm. another way of being you know within this thing seeing our or blake points us in the direction seeing the whole universe as a human body
1: well that's it i mean how to bring that holistic vision of what it is to be human back making that central and not the 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 master slave dialectic that we're getting from all the other for the, that's the that's the that's what the technocrats are actually doing. Yeah. You know, they they will they will be dressed up in different kinds of language, but that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Um but and so I you know I I I think the people who think they're radical out there, out there aren't radical enough. No. Because and and this is what I see, I mean, especially I see this in the church which you know, uh, yeah, yeah um they're all everything's poisoned by politics yeah and nobody has or very few people have um the imaginative and moral fortitude to look at like you said the present moment but actually to live in in being now yeah and nobody has that because they have to check it with the tradition or they have to check, you know, check it yeah. with the political, you know, uh, proclivities or whatever, you know, they got to check in, right? But n- nope, very few people have that kind of radical um, uh, imagination or uh, daring mm-hmm. to, to actually look and see what's there. You know, and and that's and it's a trap and it's such a trap that, to, you know, it's so hard to escape for some people, for most people, I mean, not even, almost all people. It's so, yeah. so difficult because because it's easier to not
0: do that. It is. And then again, but it has, as you and I both know, unless we're lying to ourselves, our friend who we're going to have on next week, we thought he might be joining us today. Adam Smith, remember what he said during COVID? He just kind of woke up. Mm-hmm. He just said. He just had bought the whole thing until that moment. And I want to be with him at that moment because I'm wondering, again, I think it was this guy, Stephen Vizinchy, when my mom was dying. And I'd never, you know, I mentioned on our last episode that I just, I never went to class in college and I didn't read, or it was when we were talking to Spencer Clavin that I didn't get this whole thing about the intellectual life until like 23. But I don't know if I drank the Kool-Aid. I just didn't read anything. I was just hanging out with my friends for all those years. So, that the flip side is, I never read a textbook that like bored me. So, when I took to it, I just like took to it like flies to shit. But Mm -hmm. the, um, but I was wondering when you, the way you were just discussing again, what are we doing? What can liberate people? You know, one idea for me is um, I mentioned the name Powys a lot, John Cowper, Cooper Powies, but there's a pretty short novel and it's weird, I have to admit. Uh, It's called Morwen, but he takes a Dante esque journey, this guy. Uh, into the underworld. He meets really cool people there. But uh, he's, it's a sustained novel where he has science and religion. You know, I always think about we need a religionless church because this danger of religion is kind of hypertrophied when we're desiccated from our hospitals and schools. It's just like of the OCD, for the OCD, by the OCD. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, one way that could liberate us beyond some of these mental shackles is he he always talks about, like he has Kelvin and a research scientist, you know, so one, you know, the the people who, the church who adores the past, the scientists who torture in the name of the future. You know, the church tortures in the name of the past, but it's religion and science. And he sees all these kind of, uh, you know, enemies looking at each other, uh, secretly friends on other sides. So he has Kelvin who's in predestination, but with the scientists, he has the determinist, right? And he shows how these things, and he's got 50 million of those. He points out this infernal dance and you and I would see that they were both religions. But I think whether it's science or religion, that we have to we have to release ourselves, and this is where Bra- Blake might be the greatest prophet, you know. But what he called the manacles, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mind for- the mind forge manacles, right? right, well, right. This is too, as you mentioned earlier, it is, right? It is, yeah. I mean, this is a big theme through all of his work: slavery and freedom. Right. You have
0: to read Powys on Berjaya, if nothing else. I have to because it is so wild. It is like again, you would just love it, like your two best friends were going at it, and they loved each other. But uh, Powies was fascinated with Brzeyev. He would just read him crossing the country, the whole U.S. on trains back and forth. And he wondered about this new thing he had discovered. And he's very favorable, but it's also probably the most perceptive criticism. Uh, one of the highlights for me in 20th century theology, seeing Powys engage Burjayev.
1: I have to check that out. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, I probably... Uh, <laughs> I don't, know if, I don't know if I became like I am because of Brjajev, or I'm in, or I got into Brjajev because I am like I am. But uh, I mean, he he's a person who had that kind of 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 radical daring and imagination. He and Blake, right? Yeah, yeah. Do truly really
0: anarchistic in spirit, but like this huge heart, right? They both have well, only that, personalities. He, he,
1: I mean, Brjajev. I mean, he never left the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. But my God, what a! what a scathing critique of the ossification of the system right he exists in his work right and this cry, and he you know he I've quoted a lot of times where uh you know he wondered and this is the 1930s because of the condition of Christendom if this thing called Christianity is really at an end mm-hmm. and he said I know it's not because you know, <laughs> you know, I believe that you know Christ will be with us till the end of the age. But, but I got to think. On the other hand, it looks like it's over.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to say this iteration. You know, like think of I'm going to go back to the synod for a second. But the um, a hero of mine. We should do a whole. I don't know what scholar we would have on in uh, after the French Revolution. I think after the social contract in the Bible, the most read book was uh, an essay on indifference. I think it was three three volumes and it was by a brilliant young um, Felicite de Lemene, a French uh, and he just thought somehow democracy this new thing that had happened in the revolution that he saw the evil of the revolution um how many people you know people were tortured and killed in Paris alone you know the streets as Mary craft saw herself uh, the streets were running red with blood but he also knew that something had been unleashed that was going to have to be incorporated. long story short, he writes this essay, he, he writes all these provocative things. If anybody can find it online, and you can, read his gnomic, brilliant book called Words of a Believer that can fill you with hope right now. Anyhow, he had two full papal encyclicals written against him in particular, you know, because, but that church had to die. Now it's everything we take for granted in the church. It was all there in Vatican II. You know, so during this time of polarization in the church, the Rad and the and the Jim Martin types, that... um. We can this inter, this church can reinvent itself in wild ways, and to, and and not disagreeing with you at all, Michael. You know, we just don't know. Um, I think this Father Ed, who we had on, he had a friend who he thought was the greatest Vaticanologist in his generation. So Father Ed's about ninety, around ninety years old. So this other guy was a classmate over in Rome, same time, but had followed it closely. The book is online. It's called um, "The Last Pope." of these things but it's not like a malachi martin thing but he's talking about this time he gets it well and if 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 the church knew it was horribly cornered like guido says um and it's just playing to the tools of the elites what there it was well portrayed but at the end this fake pope i think his name was danielle and not a fake pope, the last pope he he tried to change it but right before he was assassinated he had written a talk or gave a talk, but what he did is he sold like he sold all the Vatican buildings to like the UN. Now that's a horrible take at the last couple of pages, right? <laughs>
1: yes, it <laughs> it's is.
0: It's a really horrible, but up till that the novel was great. But he used his power to kind of devolve. Here's Adam. This is great. This is gonna be a great segue because it's so easy. <laughs> that's
2: too funny.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So uh Adam, can you hear us?
2: I can. Yes. Uh, Great. Let's put my video on here.
0: Tell me, you can, you can throw me under the bus cause I deserve it. I didn't have an in-between confirming email to you. We knew we had agreed that Monday would work for you. It did for me. I thought I'd confirm
2: with Michael or did you have, cause I'm guilty, but you might've had, uh, I don't uh, remember. I really, <laughs> I don't remember. And I also, it's, it's, I'm sure you probably reminded me of the time zone change too. And I forgot about that. Oh, I
0: did not. I did not.
2: <laughs> okay. Guilty. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly yeah, it i just got back from class so i i, I wouldn't have been able to do it before anyway so you know what i'm gonna
0: do michael is i can break this video my son will help me into two we've been talking for a little while adam okay yeah. and there's going to be a segue so like we might welcome people back to the regeneration podcast yeah. okay michael and i were talking about things from like the bottom up we were talking about the church and even the synod yeah. but adam i'm so glad you're here you've been on the show before and um I want to begin because this will tie in uh, the people who are listening to the conversation we just had. Um, we want to talk about a few things with you today. Mm-hmm. And Michael, do you have an, You have at least another forty-five minutes or an hour, do you, oh, Michael? Because yeah. mm-hmm. we want at least that time with Adam. Um, the rereading your review at Front Porch on mm-hmm. Patrick Denine's book, and then your second one, mm-hmm. um, which I see. And you had read; you were an engaged reader on something I did for just my own mind to clear myself. Kind of three essays on the future of religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, when I reread those those reviews today, they were subtle. They're great. Your insights are so profound. I wanted to say, like, who are you reading that you can see these <laughs> things so clearly? But first of all, if nobody told you, if nobody told you clearly. That our listeners need to read these if you're interested in the post liberal thing, mm-hmm. um, you're engaging Patrick Deneen, who might be the best known name, mm-hmm. and um, nobody has equaled your thinking on this bar none, as far as I. Well,
2: as, thank you. As far okay. as I'm concerned, thank you.
0: Completely, totally, and singular. Michael, you read the you read the I've got a bunch of questions, but you read the review certainly of the Denine book. Yeah. You're you know you you know how to shoot from the hip. What was your engagement with that, Michael? So the first question for Adam. <laughs>
1: Well, first of all, I love the article. Second, second thing, what the hell happened to Pat Denine? <laughs> a lot of people are asking that, yeah. Because he did not, I mean, because I, I, when I got on Facebook, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, he was, I used to, you know, interact with him occasionally. He seemed like a pretty smart guy mm-hmm. who didn't seem to have extreme views, and I thought he was a pretty clear thinker, but then... I haven't gotten this turn over the last few years with, you know, with him and what, what are, who are those other guys?
2: The, uh, the uh, post-liberal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the
1: posse,
0: yeah. The guy at Catholic University. Yeah. Um, the Papen, I think is one of Well, Gladden Pappen and then the theologian, Chad Pecknell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. All, so, all very smart guys, yeah.
1: yeah they're, they're smart guys, but I don't get, it seems like a kind <laughs> of Catholic triumphalism you know, which I don't get, mm-hmm. and it seems like, in, in, in fact, I, when I read your article, Adam, where you, basically where you're saying, you know, they just it's they don't it's not that they don't like the system, they don't like the guys who are running it now. So it's like those guys are assholes. We want to put our assholes in instead. And, that, and we, that's yeah, my basic
0: they, read. They but you, you do you do Ron break it Rear, down right? so well. You know,
2: you, and you Ron do. Break it down. is doing
1: the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't get any of that.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And but, I am like you, Adam. Mm-hmm. I say, you know, I'm probably more conservative and more radical than those guys because what are you doing?
0: And when you answer them, Adam, the you know, it, include, yeah. include your distinction between um, rights and values. You know, I yeah. think it's a key. You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That is really key. Let let me real quick shut my office door. Absolutely. <laughs> it might get loud, people.
0: Yeah. The post-liberals are going to come and take them down. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I you don't think there are any post-liberals in my university, okay. so
2: I don't have to worry about <laughs> it. But. Yeah, rights and values, I, th- I think that's really – you know I, I have the review of Deneen's book um, followed up by a review of uh, Danielle Allen's book. And I yeah. think it really th- comes – It's a must-read
0: to read them both. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really be. is.
2: And it comes yeah. through really well when you read the two together. Maybe when you read my two reviews together, it, it's especially – but each of them works with the other. No, system. I
0: was saying your reviews together. I mean, oh, okay. but again, yeah. they are, what you do is, again, this is a one-two punch. Hopefully you have a third or more coming, but it's so, yeah. I mean, so important.
2: I, I there's plenty to read on this and yeah. The, yeah. You, you can do a whole series of, but yeah, I mean, I think, let's see. It's a huge topic. Post-liberalism is a huge topic these days. I, I was listening just yesterday to... Um, uh, a podcast with uh, John Gray, the political philosopher. Yep. Oh, he's yeah. a
0: brilliant guy. Yeah, yeah really brilliant. And he, I didn't know he's still alive.
2: Yeah, he's he's still alive. He made a joke about that, actually, in the podcast, how he's about dead. But um, <laughs> he, what was he saying? He was, I mean, he was, you know, kind of lamenting the, the, the fall of liberalism. basically it's over. Liberalism is over. Part of that is the idea that liberalism is or was this era when it was possible to have open debate with people you really disagreed with, but now we have all this censorship, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, he said that one of the things that has been the the death knell is moving all political issues into the realm of rights where you you can't, you know, once you declare something a right as opposed to a value over which you might, you know, have a contestation, Mm -hmm. um, you take it out of the political realm altogether. And I think that is... That, that's what Denine recognizes. And it's why he calls for, you know, the rise of a post-liberal order, because that's what liberalism has done. It's kind of an anti-politics. And even a liberal like Allen also recognizes the same thing, that uh, liberalism has kind of, you know, made a mistake. Um, you know, and one the,
0: minute on rights, too, is just to say that, like, we talk about Simone Weil a lot. Um mm-hmm. But she's just one thinker, and I'm not saying that she's the only one, but just new, you know, even rights talk for those haven't, you know, you, obviously this is second nature to you, uh, Michael and Adam. Mm-hmm. but like you know some people just look at rights and say like where are they how you know where do they um mm-hmm. do they exist this would be Simone Weil in the absence of human obligations you would mm-hmm. say we can't even talk about them mm-hmm. without talking about how they're met mm-hmm. um other people would say they're infinitely malleable the people mm-hmm. you know and this is to your point in your reviews mm-hmm. that the people who just deem rights they're infinitely malleable so I could extend it to the right to have sex with my dog mm-hmm. um you know it's language but just you know to break that down a little bit you know rights and values
2: why yeah, they're so I, dangerous yeah yeah I mean it's it's it the, the the progression and i use that word kind of you know advisedly uh where more and more things are considered rights shows you the danger that you're talking mm-hmm. about it shows you that malleability uh the, the word is like a black box you can just put everything you want into it as soon as you can stuff it in then nobody can tell you not to do it anymore um i mean i think we see that like uh that's often that's you know people accuse people who worry about that kind of thing of the slippery slope fallacy which is uh ridiculous since you can see that we're at the bottom of the slippery slope right <laughs> <Yeah>. right now <laughs> yeah but um but yeah i mean the the proliferation of rights i think the the key point that gray was making is that the proliferation of rights is is one of the the really clear death knells of liberalism because once you have everything uh, categorized as a right, then you no longer have that kind of open space where where you can debate, where you can talk. And if that was the hallmark of liberalism, it's not compatible once everything is, is reduced to a right, which then must be policed by the state to make sure no other people are violating the rights and, and so on. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's easy enough to, to recognize, I guess,
0: and Danine does a great job, you're saying. Yeah, and yep, he does. She, he does. He does. He
2: does do a great job. And even liberals like Alan can also recognize that maybe we've we've messed a few things up here, and we've we've invited the populist backlash because a lot of that backlash is directed at this anti-politics where everything is reduced to to you know something that can be administered by experts. Um, but I I guess I what I was trying to get at is in my review of Deneen, and my thoughts about post-liberalism in general is, you know, the this is a a long debate in political theory, rights versus values, which one has priority over the other. Um, I tend to take the the side of the critics of liberalism. I think that you you can't talk about rights in the abstract. You mean know, this is I think probably what Vay's uh you know partly getting at. You you have to have some kind of concrete values um, in order to make those kinds of things real um, you can't have a right to do something that is bad I guess is the way that would be you, may, you might talk about it so maybe values have to come first but I also recognize with the, the liberals that that kind of thing is is dangerous um, because once you once you start talking about values, then it can have basically the same effect, uh, you know. Danin and Pecknold and those guys—they've got their—they've got their Catholic values, and their idea seems basically be to be we're going to impose those on everybody else. There's no debate about it. <laughs> and uh, they, you know, they would say something like. Look, liberals are pretending to be neutral, to not have um, any kind of commitments to values. They do. We have commitments to different values. We're just being open about it. Politics is a contest to see who is going to be able to impose their values on it's everybody so else. Yeah. yeah. It's and the so question poor. is to get the right values. So it's a, it's a dangerous moment to be in politically because the liberals really have gone really far in reducing everything to rights but the reaction to that could just be the mirror image of it. And it could, it could do all the things uh, in post-liberal terms that I don't like that liberals do. So
1: that reminds me. um, So, I mean, so I, you know, Mike and I are interested in um, facets of distributism Mm -hmm. and, and, but here's the thing though. So I can't remember. How it came up, but I was interacting with somebody on social media who was a self-proclaimed distributist, you know, mm-hmm. the the classic type, and and I was I was wondering, you know, how you know could could we could uh, uh, an alternate to the way we have our politics set up right now and our ec- economics be be, be feasible? Mm-hmm. You know, if you were kind of, you know, why can't distribute it? Why doesn't nobody else do, uh, experiment with distributist principles? And mm. basically his idea was, well, we can't do that until everybody goes to the Latin mass. <laughs> oh, my God. Shoot me.
0: That is it's a real me. thing. That is a real thing. Yeah, uh-huh. And I couldn't
1: believe, like, what the hell am I talking to this guy for? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, that goes to that goes yeah. to your point, Adam, in the essay. But that's, too. that's
1: what Deneen yeah. and, and Co are that, doing that, essentially. That. Right.
0: They are. And that's yeah. the, you know, when you I mean, talk about the cathedral, Adam, that, mm-hmm. you know, if it sounds like it's just a brutal takeover of politics, to say mm-hmm. do it our way, mm-hmm. it can be softened by saying, oh no, we wanna, you know, we wanna we wanna raise the culture of the mm-hmm. world, have the schools, the universities, and everything. Mm-hmm. But where where at least Michael and I, and I know you and Tara would be sympathetic, mm-hmm. there's two things. One is you point out that those institutions swallowed those people. Mm-hmm. Radicals mm-hmm. wanted to change the universities and mm-hmm. they became tools of those institutions. Oh, yeah. right, and right. the other one is that, you know, again, we need to um um we don't we don't need to alter things like hospitals or universities. We need to change them fundamentally. You mm-hmm. know, that's regeneration of all these institutions. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. See.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you know, I mean, another thing we might end up talking about is um, what I'm trying to do about technology um, yeah. on campus. It's a huge like part that. of your reviews, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it relates to this point, I think, in a strange way. Um, you know, the the McLuhan line is the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. Institutions are medians. I mean, they they are um, things that contain messages, like right? there's sets of rules and sentences. That's a
0: central elitian insight, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah,
2: very much so. Mm-hmm. And um, I I feel like there's this tendency this weird kind of tendency among the most liberals who I, th- I actually think should should know better um, that to to forget that to think that to think along with the liberals as if um, institutions are these neutral containers and that the problem is that they've been stuffed with bad values, values that have been disguised as rights okay I, I kind of agree that that's that's something that can happen but mm-hmm. they've been mm-hmm. they've been stuffed with these bad values so, we can just take those values out, stuff them with the right values, and then things will work out. I don't. I just don't think that that's how we should be thinking about um, institutions at all, especially these days when the massive size of institutions makes it obvious what their independent effects are on people, regardless of those people's values. Well, um, and
1: I, and let me ask you this, Adam, because it mm-hmm. seems to me and Mike and I were talking about this earlier, that there's a, a captured quality mm-hmm. to, to to liberal institutions like the colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's by design mm-hmm. um, and, and and it's the thing, same thing. It also mirrors the design of the hierarchy of the Catholic church. So mm-hmm. you have assistant professor, deacon, mm-hmm. associate professor, priest, mm-hmm. full professor, bishop, mm-hmm. but both of those systems are orchestrated to weed out the troublemakers mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so and not only do they weed out the troublemakers but they encourage conformity because whoever goes along gets along right mm-hmm. and that's that's uh, and we find ourselves in a unique problem right now in fact when i was at Mary Girl college before they're on untimely demise but they deserve the demise um the the, the english department where i was at a liberal arts catholic liberal arts college there was almost nobody who was catholic Mm-hmm. In fact, it was very hostile to the uh, the very idea of being Catholic in, the, in this institution because they had gradually just kind of compromised themselves mm-hmm. into a a, a realm which they have no, they have no values and they have only rights.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, and, they, and, and it's only, it's only this certain set of rights. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah, you it, can it, definitely see that in the, you can see an, a perfect example in the, the the transformation of institutions that were once committed to a set of values into institutions, the only purpose of which seems to be to make sure that uh, certain rights, which may be local rights to that institution, that everybody's supposed to have are not being trampled on. And, you know, we talk about our mission or something in terms of education, but really, it seems a lot like uh, our mission is mainly is, yeah, legal, legalist, legalistic terms, but that's an effect of institutions. That's not an effect of having the wrong values. So, our if we have those, if we have values, they should lead us to think about institutions in a certain way, not just to look around for some institutions that we can take over so that we can put those values into practice. Mm-hmm. Is maybe how I would put it, but
0: yeah, but I think the, there's um...
2: blindness to that. So.
0: Yeah. And, and again, like, is this, uh, you know, it's Michael and I were talking again, that the notion of, um, I might this time earlier, earlier, Adam, I was just mentioning it's in Owen Barfield speakers, meaning it begins with, you know, the, the, the previous notion, just justice, you punish criminals too. We do admit there's something of an awakening to see that Mm -hmm. criminals are human and so forth. He's, you know, he saw that civilization at that time in kind of steiner's evolution of consciousness was caught between that pole Mm -hmm. maybe justice and mercy um that you know we were seeing that criminals if we but again it gets polarized or i i don't mean polarized at all it gets really a viral Mm -hmm. when it's tied to a scientist or determinist worldview Mm -hmm. that if somebody had these events it causes them to do something Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. there was a you know that we're teasing these things apart Mm -hmm. but when we talk about the post-liberal phenomenon you know, if we were talking about something that I would say, you know, from justice to mercy mm-hmm. or from in the Catholic Church, from hierarchy, kind of authoritarianism to synodality,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: mm-hmm. we were talking about this current synod going on. These mm-hmm. are some messy times for those two. Do mm-hmm. you think like that? Like, what do you bring to bear mm-hmm. on your thinking? You experienced Mm -hmm. your understanding during COVID. You woke up to something. Mm -hmm. What metaphysical framework do you use to look at these questions Mm -hmm. so that you can question the post-liberals, but you intuit there's another way?
2: Mm. Boy, that's uh, a question that I am trying to answer
0: (laughs) i think it might be the question of the regeneration podcast we're trying to work this out i do a lot with the overworld and the underworld and the underworld Mm you the overworld's clear it has simple ways the underworld is working out problems you know Mm -hmm. the darkness mixed with light the divine feminine um and we need you know we need we need ways of solving things so jordan peterson i was talking with my son You know, came out pretty simplistic on some current events i think Mm -hmm. um and that he he loves Young, but he can only see hierarchy. He's mm-hmm. never really worked with the shadow. Mm-hmm. So it's young talk that's still it's underworld talk that they keep in the overworld. Yeah. But um, you know, yeah. and that um it makes it makes Jordan Peterson seem just so tinny mm-hmm. on certain issues. You know, he can blow you with some thought about Jung, but Young, you know, was he had explored the depths, yeah. things like that. I guess, you know, these are these are atmospheric. Mm-hmm you know, but you're, you've written with Tara and so forth. And she explores yeah. the same terrain, but, you know, Michael's always saying, how did these post-liberals, where did they come from? Talk about to understand all is to forgive all to pretty simple. 1950s. That's
1: where they came from. I know, from.
0: but it, it would be, but even with first <laughs> things, you had the naked public square. We were just mm-hmm. starting to think mm-hmm. that maybe the public square had its own thought content to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, that we were waking up mm-hmm. that, um, I, I'm kind of forgiving if a if a young college student came to me and ended up in the post liberal paradigm. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'm fortunate to have a student that's thought thus far. Mm-hmm. Now let's work with it.
2: Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, on that last thought, I would totally agree with you. I mean i i'm I'm sympathetic to the to the uh, the emotion behind the drive toward sure. post liberalism, definitely. And whenever I have, uh, and I have, I guess I would try. I, I mean, I haven't done some kind of study, but. My sense is that more and more of my students, I mean, my thoughtful students who think about anything at all, but more and more of my thoughts, my thoughtful students are (laughs) that I don't know (laughs) why I have this, this one student, uh, he had, he was in a class last semester and he, he took to, um,
0: I love uh, your smile already. It's going to be a great story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he, he's a very precocious guy. This is very weird. Nobody else would do this, but, um, and maybe you had to be there or something, but he's, he took to, uh, prefacing every every intervention in class, any anything he's about to say, he took to prefacing it by simply by saying, "and it was totally you know non sequitur." Uh, also, fairies are real, and then he would go on and talk about his thing. Right?
1: <laughs> <I'm> like <they're laughs> a kid, yeah.
2: And I thought, you know, I, I'm I bet there's this really fairly well known essay by David Bentley Hart, and I think it's in First Things where he yeah. talks about fair. I'll bet he's read that, and yep. he's kind of thinking about that.
1: I use, actually use that essay for teaching students.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. um, I mean it's a, it's it's a really fun essay. I really like it, and I I sense among my students this uh, weariness with the liberal order, um, yeah. with the the liberal order, and with the kind of everything turned into an institution like a husk of of itself. And they
0: again short shorthand is they don't trust the institutions. God bless they, them for it. Yeah, uh-huh. they don't
2: trust them, mm-hmm. and that's great. And well, I, I,
0: exactly
1: I, i've seen the same thing actually when i when i in fact i just taught that essay maybe two weeks ago uh-huh. and i asked this you know and it's really well written i mean david bentley hart knows how to write oh yeah mm-hmm. i mean he's combative as all hell but he knows how to write mm-hmm. and it's very well written in fact i just edited a book by him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hardly anything to, to fix because he's so perfectionist. <laughs> but uh and that essay um on on the secret commonwealth mm-hmm. um then I finally said, you know, I said, said, you know, we're trying to unpack how he structured this essay, what mm-hmm. kinds of tools he's using. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, here's the thing. Do you believe fairies exist? And <laughs> like, and they're like looking around. I don't know. Should I raise my hand? And the <laughs> kids said, absolutely not. And but you know, they're like, Am I really in college? Then this guy. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah. Which, but the, and the point I'm trying to make is, I think what we're we what we're suffering under right now, mm-hmm. maybe that Danine doesn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. We're suffering from what I could what I could call the technocratic enlightenment, mm-hmm. right? The the high tech enlightenment, mm-hmm. and what's and, and the response to that is this form of romanticism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, which is which is making a case for the imagination and truth and beauty and goodness again right? And I do see it with some students, like you said, not everybody, but I, they're out there.
2: Yeah. And that reaction is is really important. I mean, uh, in my in my mind, there's always, you know, a thesis and an antithesis and the, the hope is for synthesis. And that process, you know, goes on uh, potentially forever. That's maybe too simplistic an understanding of no, the process, on. but I see that reaction and I welcome it. Although I fear... What it might avoid, I fear. What it might, I fear that it might not lead to some some good place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you say see Deneen's
0: all, whole book is is kind of a theologically or, or politically deaf to Heidegger and the technological question.
2: Very know? much so. Very okay. much so. And that's say one a little thing bit I about noticed. that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I, I did. I definitely thought about that. I mean, there's a lot of good work um, being done on technology right now. Technology, I mean, uh, thinking about technology in a very fundamental way, and then trying to relate that. To um more surface level political questions that we have. I mean, John Askinus um, is working on this. I don't know if you've read any of his I stuff. saw your
0: your review. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um I think Well, you that, linked
0: to an essay of his, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was linked to an essay yeah, uh, yeah, of yeah. his. I think that um one of the one of the, the reasons why I don't resonate so much with Deneen's work is probably because I'm trying to think about those issues and I don't see him thinking about um those issues but back back to your question though about um i don't know how do i think about this uh, metaphysically yeah yeah. Yeah. i i mean i so i am uh giving a talk at the front porch republic conference next or this month uh, you and paul Kingsnorth, north and yeah that's right yeah Yeah. i'm really excited to meet him actually it's gonna be really fun hopefully i'll be there my my third baby is due also at the end of the month, so no. uh, it's an easy decision
0: to make. It sounds hard, but when it's well, you know, I mean, it go depends for the on the baby. timing. Here's the baby every time, right? Yeah, obviously, get no,
1: it twice fine without me.
2: <laughs> obviously, I'll be there for the birth uh, over yeah, monk, yeah. Uh, Paul. Race King. An hour later, sure. Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully, I can do both though. But yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I the title of my talk is "The Politics of Reenchantment," mm. and I I haven't written it yet, so I don't know what I'm going to say, but. Um, I, my first thought is like, I'm a weird person to give this talk. I'm a weird. You're a not, weird...
0: you're the one we need to
2: hear. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, uh, this, I don't know if this is an honest way to describe myself or not actually, but, um, uh, Jürgen Habermas once said that, he, or maybe it was Habermas, some, some German theorist, um, said something like that he was not religiously musical. Like you know, people don't have an ear for music, so he didn't have an ear for religion, something like that.
0: I don't, and I work for the church.
2: <laughs> well, sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes yeah. I feel like I I don't really have an an ear for the metaphysical or something. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm, but on the other hand, I I feel like that's not true because I have a very strong reaction to and a distaste for that kind of technocratic enlightenment that you were, that you were talking about Michael and it, and also I have to say that, um, as I've gotten older, certain things have happened, COVID, um, things like that. I have become much less kind of dogmatic about what is it, and it is not real. And I've become much more confused about the exact distinction between the literal and the figurative, for example, yeah. mm-hmm. um, haven't figured that out yet, but Anyway, I, I think I'm probably not the only person who, it doesn't seem like I'm the only person who feels some kind of pull of re-enchantment and doesn't exactly know how to describe it or whether you're just kind of making it up in your own mind or, mm-hmm. or something, but it seems important and it also seems somehow connected to all this stuff that I was already interested in, you know, political theory kind of questions, liberalism, mm-hmm. post-liberalism. There seems to be something afoot. Basically, let's
0: stay with this a second, because Uh I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say before you even before you started speaking there, we mentioned Paul Kingston, who I greatly, greatly admire. Mm -hmm. But you're a more dangerous thinker than he is, I believe (laughs) you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has to do with this notion. There's a quintessential moment where, again, he he had all this kind of like leaven that you're feeling in so many areas, leaven, Mm -hmm. leaven, leaven, leaven. And then he kind of, in my my vision, you know, he swafted it down in front of an iconostasis mm-hmm. and language like my, my uh, spiritual father tells me to, you know, not eat meat like three days a week. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who works for the church, it just strikes me as funny and maybe like a great dissipation. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, those those practices can be really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I just watched the movie Father a Stew the other day. And I thought that if anybody's seen it, Mark Wahlberg,
2: mm-hmm. it,
0: it would be this kind of church as machine. But it, I needed to see it again, because it could be a, if it worked, you know, somebody on hard times mm-hmm. kind of loves the rigor. Of you know fasting and needed that order and so forth you know like mm-hmm. a, a kid from the, pretty cool mm-hmm. but the um and I needed to hear it you know I can be mm-hmm. too weak not seeing the value of that structure sometimes mm-hmm. but uh, I still think it's fading and it's crashing like the university system or the hospital system yeah um so like what are we gonna do let's just admit it's crushing but yeah. uh what do you can you say a little bit about that transition point as they now say they use it too much this inflection point yeah do you feel that with your journey you know I remember during COVID you wrote you gave me the language I was searching for you
2: mm-hmm. wrote
0: an essay on trying to go to church mm-hmm. and that captured yeah. that captured so much can you can you hang around that atmosphere a little bit
2: yeah yeah I, I'm really you know uh, you're I feel that tension that you're that you're describing right like the kind of uh that on the one hand a, a draw toward enchanting things uh you know the ancient tradition and the the all the stuff, the paraphernalia that seems, you know, cool, I guess, mm-hmm. to to somebody who grew up like me in a mm-hmm. evangelical church where the sanctuary was just an auditorium and you might as well have felt like you were in a corporate retreat or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. So I, I can, I can feel that, that kind of, um, but I, I also recognize how easy it is to identify that with the thing you're looking for or the, the, the enchantment that you're, that you think is out there, in which case you end up just repeating the same mistake, which is to, to turn it into like a machine. Like, we'll said, I guess.
1: kind of adultery, right? Yeah.
2: It's the quintessential thing. Stay there, Yeah. Man. I mean, it's, I don't think it's anything new. I think, I think that this is a perennial problem for humans. How to, how to give form to something um, without imprisoning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, without turning it into something else, I think that on the one hand, most people, I'll put, I'll put it like that, most people need some kind of concrete form. On the other hand, there's always this danger in any concrete form, you know. It's, it's a it's just the relate. I would, I would say that this is the relationship between law and grace. That uh, is, that is you know so central in Paul's writings in the New Testament, in particular, and. Maybe my impulse is to say something like there's a historical um, waxing and waning here where there are um, ages where we're building up forms and then there are ages where the forms become so obviously corrupted and so legalistic that the grace gets lost and then people go looking for that grace and it's a dangerous time but also an opportunity um, because things are going to get destroyed, which is good because they're bad but also then we, I think, I think people do need some form, but that form is always dangerous.
0: Yeah. I was, I, I think, you know, when I mentioned dangerous, so you're dangerous and I'm insane. Maybe because, you know, <laughs> I, I do. I get, I get the waxing and the waning and I get yeah. the cycles, mm-hmm. but you know, I've taken the risk. And again, Adam, it's fun to think that you're you're actually a very sensitive reader of my own kind of insanity at <laughs> the front porch. But the, um, and again, like, you know, when I saw that blog, a really intelligent person that started with Tara and I would see your name with comments and I hadn't seen your writings at Front Porch. Mm-hmm. I never made the connection. But the um, the um oh, I did. I just completely lost my train of thought on that. I'll come back to it. There was something okay. yes, yeah, the whole thing. It would be the Illich. Oh, it would be so in my writings, I mentioned that, you know, we have those. It's like Oswald Spengler is true up to a point unless we move from the age of Pisces mm-hmm. to the age I want to make something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the third movement to the symphony, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the opening harmony, then you have the discord, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to stay in all the fluctuations of discord. We're looking for some type of merging of East and West of the male and the female and, Mm -hmm. you know, a movement towards the underworld. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder, you know, when I hear you saying that kind of like the receding and so forth, you know, Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're, so what I think today, the language is going to come to me Mm -hmm. When we had like Lee Ogeron, he's got a book on a uh, great Shakespeare scholar. He's got a mm-hmm. book on Christianity and uh, Jesus or like Shakespeare and Christianity. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to know if Shakespeare was Catholic. We don't need to know if Cervantes was Catholic. Mm-hmm. We don't need to know if Rabelais was Catholic, but mm-hmm. we need like the religion of Rabelais. We need the religion mm-hmm. of Cervantes, the religion of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. You know, what did those guys do? Mm-hmm. And again, I think we need to flip the script instead of saying this ritual stuff. Mm-hmm. um, It gets hypertrophied. Mm -hmm. We need, and maybe this is a waxing and a waning. Mm
2: -hmm. Maybe
0: Jesus dressed, you know, blessed bread and wine because he knew our tendency to turn everything into kind of hocus pocus. Mm -hmm. He gave us that simple thing. Like, Mm -hmm. again, when kids walk to the post office and they Mm -hmm. don't step on the cracks Mm -hmm. um, and things Mm -hmm. like that, that's a little impulse. And, you know, that's kind of the way I'm leaning right now. Again, this marriage between the earthborn common sense tradition that has humor, humor, That mm-hmm. if we're going to take something, let's focus on the equality of all souls. Mm-hmm. And this notion that I think is true for you for political theory, mm-hmm. your work captures the notion of just the love of some people to put it over on somebody else, to feel above and press down on other people. Yeah. You know, those are the those are the evils of our time. That's why I would call myself something of an anarchist. You
2: know? Yeah. I mean, that <clears throat> um I, I guess uh, two thoughts. So. um you know, the, the language of waxing and waning, the idea that they're historical periods and then trying to figure out for yourself what time you're in, that kind of thing, uh, is very interesting and, and useful in its way. Um, and it is a perennial, it's true that, I, I think it's true that it's a perennial problem, the relationship between law and grace, form and content, if you want to put it that way. But, I guess the question is, what does that mean in a specific circumstance where you're deciding you know what to do like whether to do house church like you are doing michael or whether to attend this church or that church or whatever specific decisions you've got to make in your in your real life um the the kind of practical moral practical stuff where you yourself are are putting form and content together in a particular way is there is there some like rule that tells you how to do it well then you're kind of back to the the mm-hmm. other problem which is you know you, don't, you too many rules like a rule for a rule for a rule mm-hmm. is there no rule can you just do it however you want to well then it's it's formless and uh is it actually going to you know be useful to you in your in your life is it going to be morally kind of significant right. say, not useful um in your life i don't know so so that's tricky philosophically tricky to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Practically speaking, what I'm drawn to now is kind of maybe what you were getting at, um, Mike, which is maybe the, the mistake that I most strongly react to in the post liberals is their idea that the way we fix all these problems, the way we kind of get over the technocratic enlightenment is to to do big stuff uh you know we take all the big institutions and put our people in we need some like big solutions
0: mm-hmm. the cathedral yeah
2: you there's a cathedral there we got to put our people in charge of in charge of the cathedral and i guess i would like to say that if there's like a a, a politics of enchantment that is salutary instead of um, a waste of time or a larp then it's got to be focused on small everyday things that's why i'm attracted to to localism, I would, I would put it in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like the reenchantment of the common stuff, rather than the reenchantment that is like um, the big sexy idea about what time of history you're in or something. I think it's better. It's better mm-hmm. to, to look around you and to think about what the meaning of this matter is, not to get obsessed with your time in history or something abstract. So. That you know, might be where my talk at um, at the end of the month goes. Something like a good politician. I've i
0: been trying in my own thought to put you right there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, with all that stuff, that question is kind of like why you're mm-hmm. you're here. But, you mm-hmm. know, that again, that's that's the stuff that I would put. It's that's an epical change. That's 2000 years of history from the overworld to the underworld, the local. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think if you might agree with me writing for Front Porch, mm-hmm. we need. Um, localism is one key part. But what Illich brought to conversations mm-hmm. was not just the local, but mm-hmm. the, the the more complicated issue of scale. Some things mm-hmm. are done well at a large scale. That's true. And that's yeah. the thinking of Leopold's you know, core that he mm-hmm. he said, you know, that there's only one big pro- one problem with everything. It's called bigness. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he, he at least opened it up beyond the local to like, again, those things that are done. But what subsidiarity mm-hmm. would show is that most things, to your point, are handled best at the local they are yeah you know. and, but this is revolutionary stuff
2: i mean it's i don't very... think it's an
0: adjustment it's a it's an overhaul it's like brain hemispheric stuff we're not just shifting emphasis from one quadrant to another we're shifting which has priority
2: and which is secondary yeah i think that's right That yeah, very much so yeah i mean what i'm thinking though
1: is with the, the post-liberals right like we're just going to get our guys in there they're not reimagining a damn thing Mm-hmm. No. It's just, they're just playing the same game different you know it's just like like american politics right it's the same same damn thing whereas and, and i think when you're talking about you know enchantment for for me enchantment starts with a kind of phenomenological disposition towards things and, and actually the thing i've been thinking about all summer until now mm-hmm. is and this is what i'm trying to I mean, we, even House Church is an example of this, is I, I, we have to think that if a phenomenological disclosure of Christian truth is not possible, mm-hmm. then maybe Christian truth is not possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, then it, maybe it's just a set of, of aphorisms. and That's going to be called Martin's things.
0: wager. That's going to be your well, wager. That's wager. That's gonna mean, be yeah, a Martin's yeah. wager. Yeah, Martin, but uh, you know, remind have a... me of that because I'll forget it, but it's going to go down as Martin's wager. Martin's wager. But, but, but we were here, like, Adam. We were here when Mike and Ol invited Martin's wager. Go ahead.
1: Hmm. Well, don't you think that otherwise all, all it is is, uh, you know, signing your name to a set of, um, <laughs> well, dogmas or whatever you're going to call them, right? Yeah. You yep. just, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. Do you sign, do you, you know, do you agree to? Yes, I'll do this fast on Wednesdays and thir- Fridays. Yes, I'm going to do that. Get a spiritual father. Got it. Check. Right. <laughs> but those are those are external, right? And so, is it possible to disclose Chris, Christian truth through a, a, a contemplative relationship with things? Mm-hmm. You know, a phenomenological disclosure of where it it reveals itself to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, you know, who cares? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do like that, because I think if that happens, I and mean, this is a classic thing in theology, right? The mystics versus the theologians.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Right. And, but I think what was interesting for me in phenomenology through Husserl and through Heidegger, for sure, mm-hmm. is that was a, at least a moment in Edith Stein where the mystics and the theologians could became the same person, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Because you then you can then you can return to form mm-hmm. and hopefully it won't become an idol.
0: But mysticism is getting more incarnational. That was the purpose of me sending you that quote, Michael Martin. I'll read it for Adam that, you know, Thomas Merton, the beginning of mysticism is really out there. Merton saw everybody in a consumer district of Louisville mm-hmm. shining like the sun. And mm-hmm. this is echoed in this quote I sent to Michael as a text this week from a, a St. Mother Maria of Paris, an Orthodox saint. The mm-hmm. churching of life, I love churching, not Christianity, yeah. um, the, and this is what I think it's all about, is the realization of the whole world is one great church adorned with icons, persons who should be venerated, honored, and loved, because these icons are true images of God that have the holiness of the living God within them. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the the incarnation, the increasing incarnation from icons to faces, and mm-hmm. that's it's through and through the, the yeah. human body sitting next to me. Yeah. Tell me, Adam. Yeah, your answer is going to be more interesting than anything I'd say. Well,
2: I mean, that just brings up so many thoughts, and it just sends me back into the tension that we were talking about, and then I'm constantly, you know, trying to think through. So, uh, something like that, like um, Merton standing in the con- the commercial district and seeing all these shoppers with their faces shining. Uh, on the one hand, that's that's where it should be. That's where it's at. Uh, yeah. I- Yes, I recognize that is
0: taking them out of being consumers to individual mm-hmm. human persons, unrepeatable yeah. human persons.
2: Yeah. yeah. On the other on the other hand, if if the if what that means is I mean and Merton wouldn't say that this is what that means, but um, if what that if if our if the implication of that to us is that oh, well, uh, you know, it's fine if everybody is just a mindless consumer walking around because, you know, if you see them right, their faces are shining. Good point. <laughs> and, it's a really good point. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think that some of the attraction that we were talking about of the, the post-liberals and, and others like them or, or people who are talking about re-enchantment is to say, you know, um, yes, j- even if you're just a mindless shopper, still, you know, you incarnate the presence of God or, or something. Um The response to that ought to be, I, I might think, to try and make the world more beautiful um, and less of a commercial district, which is not- But the,
0: the other one would be, I'm always thinking now of prayer being, instead of like bouncing off a satellite, hey, God, mm-hmm. help this person.
2: Mm-hmm. If
0: you, if we developed through the inner resources, the ability to look at people like they're shining like the sun, mm-hmm. um, through you know, there's a way that that turns the people into the thing you're observing, right? That's mm. Girthian science. Yeah. And it, I think gets, as we as we get, we're taking away this, you know, that's the whole Poesian critic of like all everything except this story of the Good Samaritan having the presence of like a kind of a jealous God above it, right? Mm-hmm. So how about doing good because it's good? Yeah. Um, let's stop worshiping the God of thunderbolts. How about the victims of thunderbolts and things mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. As you know, Adam, from reading my stuff, this is, you know, this is the direction I think it's all coming.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's a really good point that, um, seeing people's faces as they really are can have its own independent effect.
0: Loving uh, somebody into existence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Loving somebody. Resurrection.
0: Into practice resurrection.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wendell Berry practice resurrection. But I, I, I just think that, um, there is room to talk about, uh, how we order the world, how we set up spaces, um, how we, absolutely, you know, how, what our what our buildings look like, um, what our cities look like, um, these kinds of, I guess you could call it mundane things, um, where we think that precisely because the material world is like an, an incarnation of, of, of the spirit, if we think about it in that kind of sacramental way, precisely because of that, we're, we're moved not only to love other people, but to um, love the, the actual materials that we're working with enough to make them into something beautiful, this kind of thing. So um, I guess I would just want, I I see a tendency sometimes to, to emphasize that kind of, that kind of uh, seeing the face is shining so much that you think that the other stuff kind of like, doesn't matter, which to me, it just kind of feeds into Mm -hmm. the the order that is all around us where uh, it, I mean, that order is built on the idea that material things don't matter except as means to our own kind of desire for satisfying our own kind of desires. So, um, so yeah, I just, I, I want to bring those two things together. Uh, it's I kind
0: of, of bringing them together is something that I learned at the monastery mm-hmm. is that that mundane, that mundane living with other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, like think of the city as choosing people who are just like you, certainly politically. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what Stephen Vincent called imperial provincialism, you know, go Mm -hmm. to New York City, and you spin the color wheel, and it's gray, and everybody, everybody looks different, but they all find people who totally agree with them on politics. Mm -hmm. But to live in a hamlet of hemlock, localism, you're going to be engaging in phrenesis, you know, people Mm -hmm. who think differently than you. And then certainly at a monastery, the only thing these guys had in common was being Catholic, you Mm -hmm. can't run from them at all. It's like a very Mm -hmm. large nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And then you work it out. And then you know, at least the goal of monasticism in that way is from not running from somebody, you have that same experience of Merton that he had in the consumer district, that Mm -hmm. under these robes that look exactly the same, you Mm -hmm. see all those faces shining like the sun, and that kind of brings together shop craft as soul craft with something, I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, in the monastery, you're also doing with, together with these people that you have to learn to to live with, you're also doing all these mundane things, you're you know we have a casket building monastery you're building the caskets mm-hmm. or whatever the craft is that you all practice or just the the work of the monastery and yeah exactly that's the idea is to to bring those two things together mm-hmm. um uh, you know i've said before like i feel like i'm a strange person to give this talk on enchantment and maybe the reason is like th- of those two things uh I've often, you know, m- only mainly focused on the second one, like the, mon- the mundane stuff has seemed important enough for me um, to, to not think so much about the metaphysical stuff that is intellectually interesting, but not experientially or, or something. But, yeah. now, but now I'm becoming more interested or more drawn experientially to that other thing too, but I'm still, I, I want to make sure it's grounded and you know connected to the concrete uh, that's all around me mm-hmm. um and i guess that's just a constant challenge but yeah, yeah, yeah we'll you might, i
0: would be curious for somebody like you is that the um have you read say owen barfield saving the appearances no i'm not so heard. that's you know it's a, it's a it's a it's a very intense but it's not heady but it's mm-hmm. it's very logical it's british but that lays out the schema of original participation through alienation Mm -hmm. through what's called final participation, which is the Steinerian schema. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly applicable from infancy in the womb to alienation, Mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, some final type of cause that draws Mm -hmm. us forward. Mm -hmm. But So, you know, when I said metaphysics, you know, we have Hegel and everything. Mm -hmm. I always, my college students would just call it circle, line, circle, right? Where the second (laughs) circle is the line crossing the circle.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, It's everywhere. Then like we see it in movies. We watched uh, Tom Hanks, News of the World. And the young girl who was tied to the native, she saw the world as a circle. Tom Hanks was the cowboy. And they just said, line, line, line. It's there in this great last unicorn that Tara and I sing the praises of. It's like the best fantasy Mm -hmm. outside of Tolkien. Mm -hmm. But um. I guess that's what I mean by metaphysics mm.
1: I, mm-hmm.
0: uh it's almost like a simple temple it's just like too easy you know yeah
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the
0: more adam becomes adam the more he feels at one in a crowd it's the womb restored at a higher level it's yeah. a community and oneness at the same time it's the trinity you know
2: yeah i mean eventually things do get resolved uh, yeah. i guess yeah. that's yeah. Uh, maybe a, a, a core faith of mine
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah interesting yeah.
0: so what else do you uh, um let's let's it's all like news as we'll wind up. You know, last time you were on, and this is all mm-hmm. going to relate, because the technological question is part of your political t- critique, mm-hmm. and we're just talking about making things real, getting yeah. connected to the real. This summer, last time we spoke with you, you had an experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, name the experiment again as you would describe it, and tell me, tell us what you learned.
2: Yeah, so uh, I had students sign up to, for a May term course, which is a month long, and the students in the course, there weren't very many of them, but I mean, it was just the first time. Uh, They lived together in a dorm room apartment uh, building, I guess, with uh, no technology uh, for the month while they were also taking this course on uh, these kind of like we read Illich, um, these kinds of people in the course, Um, but then they were also, you know, experimenting with living without uh, their devices so they had I mean, I, I left it actually open. I said, the fundamental rule is no smartphones, um, but you you all can decide amongst yourselves uh, how far you want to go. Um, and they decided basically to, to no screens at all. I mean, I thought maybe it would be nice if they uh, watched movies together, for example, um, had like a common screen, but they they elected to go without screens at all. So mm-hmm. for the whole month, they traded in their smartphones for flip phones no TV, no Netflix, nothing. They, they did all their work on, you know, by hand. So the work for the course, they didn't need a computer for. Um, and yeah, the end, by the end of the month, they, uh, yeah, it was quite profound. They, wow. they, um, one of the most interesting things that they said, and one thing I should say is these students probably pretty self-selecting. They're already interested, you know, in, in the issue Um, so they didn't have to be pulled, you know, dragging and screaming into, into the dorm. They, they wanted to try this. So, so that caveat aside, um, one of the most interesting things they said was that it was much easier than they thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Um, and that they, you know, people talk about tech addiction, you know, you're addicted to your phone or whatever. And they decided that they were not, they were like, "Ah, it wasn't an addiction, just like a, just a bad habit. And one of the insights that I thought was interesting was, and I'd never really thought about this, but it's possible that um, a lot of times when we, including me, um, talk about this problem of, of you know, getting addicted to your, to your technology, we're actually kind of like playing into the hands of the people we say we're against. Like we're, we're blowing it up into this problem that is so bad. Like, oh, well, it's an addiction. I probably can't do anything about that. I, I might as well just, you know, keep mm. going. Whereas if it's not something like that drastic for most people, then it's much more um, practical. You can, you can address it. And that's what they did. Um, and they came out and they said, they, I don't know what they're doing now. Several of them, I haven't you know seen for this, you know, semester yet, but um, several of them last I talked, had decided to keep going without a smartphone. They're just going to use their flip phone. Um, and they, they picked up new interests. One guy took up the mandolin. Uh, spent his weekends at a worthy (laughs) undertaking, yeah, handle and Michael, yeah, exactly. And he, uh, you know, he spent his weekends at bluegrass festivals, just like going and like jamming with people and things. And
1: I used to do when I was a kid,
2: (laughs) well, that's what more people used to do when they were a kid, not that, yeah, but yeah, right, you know, something like that. And we talked a lot about this, but how this is going to sound so nostalgic, but people don't we're older than you as (laughs) as much as they used to they don't do things they don't do things they don't. you know they don't like when i was in college we were always organizing our own things you know like stupid stuff crazy things and we were cow tipping yeah exactly i mean climbing up the radio tower and putting flags on top and like you know stuff like you're supposed to do when you're a kid and uh my sense is the kids just they don't they don't have much of a life like that Mm-hmm. and the I think one of the things that the kids in the, the the dorm discovered was like just like how to do that I guess how to like ah. make your own fun you know yeah and you have to right. um um so so yeah it was cool and I I wrote a little bit about it afterwards for um Christian scholars review wrote a, a the blog for Christian scholars review and just you know arguing the case for more of this kind of thing more of this more of these kinds of experiments so my hope is I actually have put together um, a working group of faculty from my college. And then we've got, we've got three colleges in the area. So the two other colleges got some other faculty We're we're trying to come up with more ideas like this and trying to build some, some kind of constituency for, I don't know whether it's another tech, like a permanent dorm option, maybe, or student clubs Mm -hmm. that where people who want to reduce their tech use kind of get together and go out and do things together without, they don't require the use of technology. Who knows, but that's where we are
1: so well yeah i've had that same experience with students i I, I always ask them how many of you can play an instrument yeah nobody Mm -hmm. how many of you do whatever go camping Mm -hmm. nobody
0: yeah yeah my wife's a piano teacher and she has 60 students but 55 of them are just there (laughs) for therapy right (laughs) You know, they just talk and their parents are even in there with them and they just talk. And the parents are like, don't change a thing, you know, that my daughter needs to kind of unload because yeah. the daughter's getting dropped off after soccer and before yeah. theater practice for her piano lesson. Yeah. And again, I say, so you know, yeah, piano lessons are doing well. Piano players are not doing well,
2: right? <laughs> When I say they don't do anything, I don't mean they're not busy. They're super no. busy. They're yeah. way they're too busy. But they're not doing anything informal on their own. You know, they're not this they're not sitting around talking with you know, talking about philosophy or metaphysics. Like no that. At all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So, yeah. And I, th- I think tech is a big part of that. So that's the, that's behind my idea, but yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the really interesting, so I, I wrote this article and one of the, so I had a group of faculty who are also interested in, um, who kind of helped me plan it. And we were, were talking together about issues. Anyway, one of that, one of the professors, she's in the seminary here. She shared my article on her Facebook page um, and she then shared with me several of the comments that she got on the article and they were, they were scathing. Um, really? Yeah. Say more. Oh no, oh, no. <laughs> it, I, it was really very interesting and, and revealing. I mean, I don't know. My idea is like who could disagree with this, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Maybe you don't want to do this. Then maybe you're just like, ah, I recognize that you're right, but I'm not going to do it or, or it won't work or or something like that but yeah but no these were these comments were um like they they were offended by the by the argument really um, yeah which so, makes me
0: want to revisit your use of the word like addiction there adam is to say that the people <laughs> yeah, who well, did maybe. this there was the but, people who did this knew that they also already had a free enough relationship yeah that like put put um hundred people in a room with like this much marijuana, you know, a certain percent are going to get addicted. They're the ones who aren't going to go in the tech free dorm. Yeah. And they're the ones who in seeing that people can live without this, say like, you know, you're telling me,
2: yeah.
0: you know, and that's just a possibility,
2: but it would be. Yeah. It's But po- I mean, I'm not denying that some people might be addicted. My only point yeah. was that maybe yeah. not everybody is.
0: Right, you- right, right, right. It's what, uh, what Illich again calls distality from tools. And some yeah. people it's not too hard to say, well, this is good for, mm-hmm. and it makes me think again of Aquinas I brought up in the last one. This, very useful heuristic of we need to love the things that are above us and know mm-hmm. the things that are below us. So if technology, you, yeah. you, you can see that it's below you,
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: fine. Once you start to revere it and there is a religion of technology, which is why yeah. to ignore it in a book of political theory, like you're saying a Deneen did is kind of a big lacuna. Yeah, it
2: is exactly. Yeah. 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 And And um, I guess what these comments showed me is that there's a, you know, there's a, a religion of technology, in the kind of superficial sense where everybody goes to the the Steve Jobs unveiling of the next iPhone and oohs and ahs and it's like you're at a service when you're bowing down to the yeah, i like yeah, yeah, right. you know yeah. that. But there's this other way in which and this is what these comments suggested. That's so
0: funny. We used to do that with football in my liturgy classes <laughs> when I was in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> the religion of now it's
2: tech meetings. Yeah, exactly. But um football is probably a better religion than tech Yeah, religion. yeah. Right. Um so one of the comments was, uh, from a person who was, I, I believe since the professor who shared it is in the seminary, I think that these were seminary students of hers. Wow. I'm not sure about that, but, um, it, it kind of would, it made sense a little bit based on how they talked, but, um, mm-hmm. one of them was very offended because, um, she thought uh, that it excluded, she, or she, I'm not sure if it's she or he, but anyway, they were, uh, They were disabled. And my argument did not take, I briefly mentioned something about, you know, the objection, what about people with disabilities who use technology to overcome their disabilities? And I, she, she thought that I was very dismissive toward people with disabilities and how they rely on technology. Basically all the comments were all about how if you do something like this, where you try to, you know, kind of reorganize space and time. We're talking about institutions, right? Institute like the medium that we live in. If you try to reform the medium so that maybe they're more directed toward the value that they're intended to serve, um, that you're going to end up excluding some people, and any exclusion is is always bad.
0: Yeah, that gets your your idea of uh values.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right.
0: I mean, that's a right. That's a exactly. Right. Not, exactly. Not exactly.
2: And so it's I was going it, to say it, it, you could
0: say like neurodivergent people yeah. this way of living yeah. you know and then your then
2: your whole program is shot through. yes right? exactly exactly right. and it leads full circle back to what we were talking about before like mm-hmm. with with the rights versus values any any appeal to some value that you're trying to instantiate by setting up a, a particular a, a certain way of doing things it's a way of way of living together We're saying we're going to do it this way and not that way. You're going to exclude some people and that is felt as a violation of rights by those people. And um, Michael, that's that would
0: want you to make you pick up your patanine pitchfork and join the post liberal thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it, to me, it's very mm-hmm. understandable. Yes, yeah.
2: exactly. Yeah. Whenever when I mean whenever I encounter something like you that. See
0: something so good that's just like somebody says you can't do this because somebody yes. might be offended. Yes. You know, that and it's not, again, it's not, it's not super shallow post liberalism, but I do understand these mm-hmm. people. You know.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I understand them the most whenever I'm reading comments like that. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super so, interesting. Yeah, What a I, conversation. What a conversation. Adam, again, I, I don't mind saying what I think, but like you're a, a very, very, very important thinker oh, and well, okay. writer. I and hope it's I very unassuming your thinking. work. You you put it in book reviews at Front Porch. I mean, with the insights of your two articles, again, um, very humble, useful, but uh, this type of, uh, you know, I'll send people, I'll link to those. But you can you can learn so much from these two book reviews about politics at our time, and I, it's you know I would just wonder like you're, you're just thinking in real time, and and I can't wait to have you on again. Thanks for all you're doing, and I mm-hmm. uh, do want to tell people how they can read your stuff. You know, I'll mm-hmm. link to the front porch things, other things you want to kind of put up there for people, let them know now.
2: Yeah, I mean the front porch thing is is the main thing. Maybe I'll also send you a link to the 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 article about the tech free dorm. Yeah, if yeah. Wants to read that. I mean, um, at Front Porch, I'm actually, I'm I'm in one of the associate editors now for Front Porch. Great. Oh, wow. Well, so, right. um, so I don't know how much I'll be writing for them, actually. I might be, you know, a little too busy doing editing, but sure. But that's probably where I'll end up. I keep intending to get back to the substack, but, you know, like I said, now we have the third child on the way. Yeah, yeah. Michael <laughs> and I have
0: both been there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's so. a different
0: world for me. I don't know if I've said it here, but I was telling a young dad the other day, he's got three kids under five. The real sense of liberation didn't come until winter in upstate New York, when I could tell my four kids, we had four kids in five years, uh, that like, get on your winter clothes and get in the car. So there's no more car seats and no more putting their boots on or so much as a mitten or helping them look to find anything. Yep. In the winter, when I said, get in the car, I just thought like much more than my youngest just graduating from college, much more <laughs> than anything. I was liberated a man. <laughs> And it's yeah. very difficult until then and beyond, yeah. but it's difficult, but it's the best work ever.
2: Yeah, it is. It is very much. It's very difficult, but it is it is the most important thing
0: that's ever Absolutely. happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks, everybody. And my people, Jesus, the imagination, where can they buy it, Michael? The new issue.
1: Well, you can get it. Go. I would recommend going to the Angelica website to get it because they're, they they found a way to go outside of the man and not have to get get it through right. Amazon. So so do that, but it's also on Amazon. It's also at Barnes & Noble and insurance other places as well.
0: Okay, and I'll do as I always do. I'll link to your Patreon and Substack and we will see everybody here again on the Regeneration Podcast next week.